need you, God, today. We need you right this minute, right this second, right this very hour. We need your love and mercy. We need your tender love and mercy. We need your kindness. We need your power and your glory. We need you, Lord Jesus, in every way imaginable in ways we haven't thought of yet. Lord, eyes have not seen and ears have not heard. Neither has it entered into the hearts of those in this room the things that you have prepared for them that love you, Lord Jesus. And we love you, Lord Jesus. We love you, Lord Jesus. Prepare us for what's coming, O oh God. Prepare us for what's coming, Lord Lord Jesus, prepare us in our heart, soul, mind, in our strength. Prepare us, O oh God, in the name of Jesus. Visit us, O oh God, right now in this place. Visit us, O oh God, with your angels to come and minister among us today in this place. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah. Throw that verse on. Hallelujah, Hallelujah. Oh, thanks. Thanks. I give you thanks for all you have done. I am so blessed. My soul has found rest, O oh Lord. I give you thanks. 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 I give you thanks for all you have done. Oh, I am so blessed. My soul has found rest. Oh, Lord, I give you thanks. Let's thank him again. Thanks. Thanks, I give you thanks for all you have done. I am so blessed, my soul has found rest. Oh, Lord, I give you thanks. Not, not my will, but thine be done. Pray, Jesus. Sing it with me. Let this same prayer be mine every day. Oh, when this robe of flesh that I wear, when it makes me falter, Guide my feet, hold my hand all the way. Oh, not my will, but thine be done. Pray, Jesus, and let this same prayer be mine every day. Oh, when this robe of flesh 
Oh, that I wear when it makes me falter. Guide my feet, hold my hand all the way. Let's sing it again one more time. Oh, not my will, but thine be done. Pray, Jesus. That's the prayer that he prayed. Oh, let this same prayer be mine every day with this robe of flesh that I wear when it makes me falter. Guide my feet, hold my hand all the way. Lord, we love you, Jesus. We need you, Jesus. Guide my hand. Lord, guide my feet. Guide my heart. Guide my mind, oh God. Oh, inhabit my thoughts, oh God. Inhabit my thoughts, oh God. Oh, Jesus, know my thoughts. Oh, God, help me to know your will. Help me to know you, Lord Jesus. And to know your will, Lord, not my will, Lord Jesus. Have your way among your people tonight. In Jesus' name, hallelujah, 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 Jesus. Glory to God, amen. Hallelujah, Jesus, we love you tonight, we love you tonight. Psalms, the book of Psalms, let's turn to the book of Psalms, chapter 51, verses 1 through 17. Psalms 51, some of you may recognize this scripture, amen, and I love, in, at least in my Bible anyway, I, it has these little headings sometimes above the scriptures, especially in Psalms, and this one says, a prayer for spiritual cleansing to the chief musician, a Psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet came unto him after he had gone in to Bathsheba. Amen. So the writer of this is King David. Hallelujah. Let's start reading in verse 1. It says, Have mercy upon me, O God. This is the man that was considered to be a man after God's own heart. According to thy loving kindness, according unto the multitude of thy tender mercies. How many are glad for the multitude of God's tender mercies? Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity. And cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions. And my sin is ever before me. Against thee, thee only, have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight. That thou mightest be justified when thou speakest. And be clear when thou Judgest. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part thou shalt make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me. God, I can't wash myself. I can't purge myself. I need you. To do the purging, and I need you to do the washing, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness. 
that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Hide thy face from my sins and blot out mine iniquities. I really, I'm, I'll continue reading in a second. I really don't, if you can get a picture of David down on his face, he is not standing up, in my opinion. He is weeping before God as he's writing this. Verse 10, cast me not away from thy presence and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation and uphold me with thy free spirit. Then will I teach transgressors. Then, after we've gone through all this, Lord, then will I teach transgressors thy ways and sinners shall be converted unto thee. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God. Thou God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud of thy righteousness. O Lord, open thou my lips, and my mouth shall show forth thy praise. For thou desirest not sacrifice, else would I give it. Thou delightest not in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are, what? A broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. O God, thou wilt not despise. Thank you, Father, for the opportunity to be your vessel tonight, Lord, that you would use me to speak unto this people in Jesus' name. Give them ears to hear, Lord, what your Spirit is saying. Lord, let them receive what the Spirit of God is saying to them tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said, in Jesus' name. Simple title, repentance. You can be seated. Repentance. So, what led David to this point? What was it in David's life that brought him to this place? And the Holy Ghost caused him just because, and we know that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God, right? And it's all profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. And so these, these words of these men, these prophets, David and others, were not just words that they wrote. But they, were, they wrote them as they were inspired by the Holy Ghost to write them. So they are for our edification. Amen? So what, why was King David writing this? I know many of you just want to shout the answer out, but don't. David was not where he was supposed to be. In the battle. And his eyes were wondering where they weren't supposed to be. Across the way to Bathsheba's house. As a result, David's heart, his inner man, his ultimately his flesh, wandered from where it shouldn't have gone. He fell to the temptation of the enemy and his, of his soul. Satan was around then, too. And David was tempted. And he fell, this man that was after God's own heart, this king that God anointed to be king, that went through all that he went through to be king, ran from Saul, ran from his accusers, ran from just spent his life in caves and had nowhere to sleep. This anointed man of God that was in the lineage of Jesus Christ himself fell to sin, fell to temptation. 
David's fleshly desires got the best of him. He had a moment of weakness. Amen. So we're going to read about that right here in 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 1 through 14, where the prophet Nathan confronts David about his sin. And the Lord sent Nathan unto David, and he came unto him and said unto him, There were two men in one city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had exceeding many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing, save one little ewe lamb, which he had bought and nourished it up and grew it together with him and with his children. It did, it did eat of his own meat and drank up of his own cup and lay in, the, in his bosom and was unto him as a daughter. And there came a traveler unto the rich man, and spared, and he spared to take of his own flock and his own herd to dress for the wayfaring man that was come unto him, but took the poor man's lamb and dressed it for the man that was come unto him. And David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. And he said to Nathan, As the Lord liveth, the man that hath done this thing shall surely die. Yeah, whoopsie. (laughs) And he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. And Nathan said to David, thou art the man in the story. Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I anointed thee king over Israel and I delivered thee out of the hand of Saul. And I gave thee thy master's house and thy master's wives unto thy bosom and gave thee the house of Israel and Judah. And if that had been too little, I would moreover have given unto thee such and such things. Wherefore hast thou despised the commandment of the Lord? One little act. Wherefore hast thou despised the commandment of the Lord? To do this, to do evil in his sight. Thou hast killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword and hast taken his wife to be thy wife and hast slain him with the sword of the children of Ammon. Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from thine house because thou hast despised me and hast taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be thy wife. Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will raise up evil against thee out of thine own house, and I will take thy wives before thine eyes and give them unto thy neighbor, and he shall lie with thy wives and in the sight of this son. For thou didst it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the son. And David said unto Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said unto David, The Lord has put has the Lord also hath put away thy sin, thou shalt not die. Howbeit because by this deed thou hast given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, and the child also that is born unto thee shall surely die. Just one look. Just think about that for a minute. All he did was look. All he did was look over there and see her bathing on her roof. He could have stopped it right there. 
but he didn't. And that one look led to a murder, a conspiracy, and adultery. It had a profound effect not only on David and on those involved. It had a profound effect on Israel. Can you imagine how disheartening this was for all Israel to hear about this? That their king could be capable of such evil. Because he said, I'm going to announce it before all Israel. You've done it in the corner in the darkness. And I'm going to make announce it and bring it to the light for everybody to see. And there's, there's a scripture in the New Testament that talks about what you do in the darkness. God's going to bring it out here and shine some light on it. God was there when, da- when, Nathan, when David looked. And I just, I don't know, I just have to believe that somehow God spoke to David in that moment and said, don't do it. Don't do it. And he had a a space, I believe he had a space to repent, and he chose not to repent. And David and many after him paid the price for that. How many of us have been in a service? Some of us have been in this a long time. I've been in many services like this. Not this one, the one I'm going to talk about. Where the preacher, the evangelist, the prophet was speaking, and you found yourself wondering, why is he talking about that? Why is he talking about this? Whatever subject that is. Why is he going there? How does he know? Right? Can't he talk about something else? Anybody ever been there besides me? And it started getting just a little tight in the room. And you're thinking, why did I come here? And there were some people in the room that had been serving God a while, and they were squirming in their seats. What in the world was going on? And some were saying, well, can't this guy just preach us a nice message, make us all feel good? No, that's not why that man of God was sent to that service. God sent him there to preach conviction on the people. Didn't matter who they were. Didn't matter if they were saint or sinner, new convert, or somebody that's been in church 50 years. God was there to preach in those services conviction to who would receive it. Because what was the point of God sending a man to preach like that? He was bringing people to a place of repentance. How important is repentance to our salvation? It's vitally Vitally important. Just think about in the book of Acts where it says, Then Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your the remission of your sins. It wasn't just a one time thing. Past, present, and future. Remission of your sins. That's what that blood's for. We just sang that song recently. The blood that Jesus shed for me. Way back on Calvary. That blood that gives me strength from day 
today, it will never lose its power. I need that blood. I'll speak for myself. I need that blood. I need that blood on me every day. Every day. I plead that blood over my family. I plead that blood over the city of Sparta. I plead that blood over my wife and myself. I need that blood helping me, covering me every day. Because something like what happened to David could happen to anyone in this room. And we can all sit here and think about situations that we know about where preachers have fallen. And we find ourselves saying, how in the world did that happen? How did that happen? They had the Holy Ghost. They've been baptized in Jesus' name. They've lived for God 30 years. Trophies of hell, right? T.G. McNeely's dad was a preacher for over 30 years. Walked to the pulpit one Sunday morning. If you haven't heard it, I'll get you a copy. Walked to the pulpit one Sunday morning, preached the message, closed his Bible, pulled out a letter, resigned from the church, left the church, and went straight to the bar. How does that happen? And that was in the 80s, or even earlier than that. How does that happen? How does a man of God, how does a person who loves God, who spends their life serving God, that that went through the same baptism, Holy Ghost, repentance, and everything that we all went through, how does somebody just walk away? How do they fall to sin? How does that happen? We're going to talk about it. First John 2, 15 through 17 says, Love not the world. It's the world system. We're in a world system, aren't we? We're in this world, but we're not of this world, aren't we? Love the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. You can't serve God and mammon. You can't love both. You can only love God or or love the world. You can't split your love. You can't have divided loyalties. Well, I guess you can. You're going to be in a miserable state. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, that's in the world right now. Right this second, the lust of the flesh is in the world right now. It was when this was written, and it was when back when David was alive. The lust of the flesh was in the world, wasn't it? Because that's what happened to David. That lust of the flesh got him. In one brief, fleeting moment, it got him. The lust of the eyes, that got him too. Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. Right? And the pride of life. Wow, pride's just a whole other subject. You can be Poe as a church mouse and have pride because you're so Poe. Be so prideful that you're just so proud that you're pole. Just like the guy that's got billions and billions of dollars in the bank can be proud. Pride's pride. Right? Anybody that has any of those things that are in the world that are in the world is not of the Father, but is of the world. 
and the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. What's the will of God? That's, that's a broad brush. What's the will of God for my life? What's the will of God for your life? You need to find that out. You need to ask God. He's got a will for every life in this place. Whether we're fulfilling that will is between us and it's in our relationship with him. Not my job. It's not the pastor's job to tell you what the will of God is for your life. You need to seek and seek out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Find out what God wants you to be doing. Because I guarantee you, if you're busy trying to find out what God's wanting you to do and busy focusing on the things of God, you're not going to have a problem necessarily with your eyes wandering and your mind wandering and the pride of life coming into your life. Because you're going to be busy seeking first the kingdom of God. Right? Nothing's changed from David's day until now except for one thing. We have the baptism of the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in tongue. We have the blood of Jesus applied to our life. We have Jesus has given us the power and authority in his name to live above sin. But that doesn't mean we're just automatically going to live above sin. It's not a magic wand that he waves over you when you receive the Holy Ghost. I'm sorry if you think that's what it is, but that's not what it is. Song, I choose to be a Christian. I choose to be like him. Nobody's making me do this, including God. You decide for you and I'll decide for me. I got to decide Every morning when I get up, Lord, I got to pray, put a, put a cover over my eyes, put a cover over my mouth. Lord, put your armor on me so I can be in the fight. Because I don't want to be sitting over here idle and finding myself looking around and doing what David did. He was a man after God's own heart. Every one of us in this room is, is a person after God's own heart right now. We need to do our endeavor to do what we can to keep it that way. Matthew 26:41 says, "Watch and pray that you enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak." Who does that apply to? Everybody say me. It applies to me. My spirit, my human spirit, if you notice that's a small s. Not a, not a capital S. You know that in the King James Bible and other Bible translations, they capitalize the S when it's talking about God's spirit. And they use a small S when it's talking about this human spirit that we have. What did David say? I was born in sin and shaped in iniquity from my mother's womb. God breathed into us, what? The breath of life. And we became a living soul. And what was that breath of life? His spirit. He was breathing the human spirit into us that we could live and move and have our being and walk. It's not just hyperbole when I say that every heartbeat, every breath you breathe, he's allowing it right this moment. That's not hyperbole. That's for real. 
If he wanted you to be gone in the next five minutes, you'd have a heart attack or something. You'd just stop breathing if he decided that was your time. And if it's your time, if it's my time, don't try to resurrect me, please. Just let me go. Honey. (laughs) Oh, hallelujah. Don't get between me and Jesus. Galatians 5, 15 and 16 says, But if you bite and devour one another, we don't do that in the church, do we? Take heed that ye be not consumed one of another. Wow. This I say then, walk in the Spirit. Make a choice. I'm going to walk by according to the Spirit of God today. I'm going to listen to the Holy Ghost. I'm going to listen to the Holy Ghost so I'm going to listen for His voice so intently that I'm, that I'm going to hear what He's saying. Walk in the Spirit, not automatic. Something you've got to choose to do. We're not automatons, are we? He doesn't fill us with the Holy Ghost and turn, put a little key in our back and just keep turning the key every morning. We are creatures of choice. We just heard about that, didn't we? You got to choose to get up. You got to choose to not hit the snooze another 10 minutes. You got to choose that today I'm going to make this the best day of my life. We just went through training on that book called Fish. If you haven't read that, it's an easy read, it's a quick read. But those people at that fish market in Seattle, they make a choice every day. They're going to get up and they're not going to have a sour attitude. So they go out to that fish market and they make it fun and they throw fish around and they they hoop and holler at each other and they just make it fun every day. They could just, it's a dirty job picking up all those fish and lobsters and crab and everything. But they make it fun so that it doesn't seem so dreary. So we make choices. Romans 3, 21 to 24 says, But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. The law and the prophets witnessed. They spoke of this Jesus. The same Jesus that the religious Jews just couldn't understand who this guy was. God was standing right in front of them in flesh, and they didn't know it. Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all them that believe. That includes us. For there is no difference. Difference between what? Jews and Gentiles. God, he opened it up for everybody. Thank goodness. I'm glad that he opened it up. I'm glad that Peter left the top of that roof of that house. I'm glad that he went to Cornelius' house. I'm glad that Paul went to the Gentiles. I'm glad. You should be too. We had the opportunity to repent of our sins and be baptized in Jesus' name and filled with the Holy Ghost because those men were obedient to the Holy Ghost. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. In the Greek, which Paul didn't speak English, in case you all didn't know that, he spoke four languages that they they believe he spoke Aramaic, Hebrew, Greek, and they think he might have spoke Latin because that was the language of the Romans. 
Not 100% sure on that one, but I, we know he spoke those other three, so he did not speak the king's English. Okay? Imagine that. King James must have just been beside himself. But if you look this up in the Greek, it says, For all have sinned and are coming short of the glory of God. That's hard to swallow, isn't it? That you just might come short of his glory somehow today. I, I don't know about you, but I want to know. I want to know. I want to know, God, if I'm falling short of your expectations for me and for my life and the ministry you've called me to. I want to know that. I want you to come and tell me, God, if you've got to send a donkey, come and tell me. And let me know that I'm, that I'm not where I need to be so that I can get down on my face and repent and get right with you so I can continue on in this journey that I'm on. Anybody feel where I'm coming from? Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. It might not be an obvious or blatant sin or thing that happens in your life. You know, we're not going to go out and run to the bar or whatever. But it could be something so small and seemingly minuscule. Like pride, arrogance, doubt, unbelief. Even Jesus' disciples were guilty of unbelief. He asked them, where's your faith? Now, I'll be the first to admit it to you. I don't always have this high up here faith. I don't. Sometimes I almost border on unbelief, and I have to go to God and say, I'm sorry. You're, you're more powerful than I give you credit for. Forgive me for, not, for just being wishy-washy today. Forgive me. Selfishness. Yeah, we've been delivered of that, right? We're all saved and sanctified and delivered from selfishness, right? We can even become lazy and indifferent. And now I believe, this is just Brother Demuth, but I believe we are dealing with a spirit of indifference in our world today. A very strong spirit of indifference is creeping into our churches. And we've got to beware of that spirit of indifference. Well, it doesn't matter. Well, it's, you know, it's neither here nor there. Yeah. Just like government work, however they say. <laughs> Good enough for government. Well, it's not, that ain't going to fly with God. The closer this world gets to just being so evil, we can't stand it. It starts seeming like you go back and read the book in the Old Testament about Sodom and Gomorrah and think, man, this looks more like that every day. Where sin doth abound, his grace doth much more abound. I need his grace. I'm, I'll get in line right behind King David. I need him. I, something's going to happen. God's going to allow temptation to come into your life. If you don't believe that, you need to start believing that. Because he's not letting anything that's not pure enter into heaven. And the only way that we can be purified, folks, according to what my Bible says, is through temptation. 
What does it say in James? He said, James says we're going to be tempted. When, when, does it, when does it go beyond temptation? When we take that upon ourselves, upon our own lust. Then when it's finished, it brings forth death. He's given us the tool we need to live above sin, folks. I can't tell you how many times that I've had to cry out to God in a moment. A moment that I felt like a moment of weakness was coming on and I had to plead the blood over myself right now. Lord, stop this. Help me. I know you're allowing this. Just help me get past this test. Like I heard one preacher say, everything's a test. God wants to prove you. He wants to prove me every way he possibly can. What's he trying to prove in me? How much I love him. How committed I am to him. He's not just going to let us sit back on the bus seat and just wait for the bus to get to the the stop. He's going to allow us to go through some things. James 4, 5 through 10 says, Do you think that the Scripture saith in vain the Spirit, that Spirit, that human Spirit, the fallen Spirit of man, that which is responsible for man's propensity to sin, that dwelleth in us, lusteth the envy? You think that it's said that in Scripture in vain? Does it say that in vain? But he giveth more grace. Thank goodness for that. I need more grace. Wherefore, he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Some Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. So to me, that right there indicates that the devil's going to be up in your business. Because he can't flee from you if he's not right there. Does that make sense? So the, the Lord's going to let the devil get all up in your business. He's going to allow him to try us and test us. Draw nigh to God and he'll draw nigh to you. Pretty simple. Just turn and draw nigh to God. He'll draw nigh to you. The devil can't stay around when that goes on. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. And James is writing this to who? The church. Sorry. Be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. Sounds like a really good definition for repentance to me. I'll read that again. Be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he shall lift you up. Don't try to fight the battle on your own. Give it over to Jesus, casting every care upon him. God, this battle is, I don't, I'm not asking you to get me out of this fight. I'm not asking you to get me out of this storm, this battle, but I'm asking you to get me through it. I can't do it without you, God, so I need you right now. Job 4, 
excuse me, Job 42, 1 through 6. Here's one of those little title things I like at the top of the where this scripture is. Job's humility. Job found a place of repentance and remorse. Job went through a whole bunch of stuff, didn't he? And Job got a little bold in his state that he was in, and he started questioning God and challenging God, and didn't he? He did. And here we are at the end of this whole ordeal. After God challenged him, where were you, Job, when I created the snow and the lightning? Where were you, Job? Stand up like a man before me. I don't want God talking to me like that. Then Job answered, Lord, the, answered the Lord and said, I know that thou canst do everything and that no thought can be withheld from thee. He, he knows our thoughts, folks. No thought can be withheld from him. Who is the, he that hideth counsel without knowledge? Can't hide anything from God. Therefore I have uttered that I understood not. Things too wonderful for me which I knew not. I opened my mouth and I inserted my foot. Hear, I beseech thee, and I will speak. I will demand of thee, and declare thou unto me. I have heard of thee by the hearing of the ear, but now mine eye seeth thee. Wherefore, I abhor myself, and I repent in dust and ashes. And I didn't put the next verse in there, but what do you think happened right on the very next verse in that scripture? It went right into God restored everything to him and then some. All because he repented. That's all he's asking us to do sometimes, folks, is just get down on our face, literally or otherwise, and just repent and say, God, you got me. I was wrong. We need to take that attitude that David had when he wrote that in Psalm 51. It's a great, great, great prayer to pray. Second Chronicles seven thirteen through fourteen. This was written, they believe, by the prophet Ezra. God wrote this through the prophet Ezra. If I shut up heaven and there be no rain, or if I command the locusts to devour the land, or if I send pestilence among my people, if my people, everybody say that's me which are called by my name, everybody say, that's me. Aren't we called by his name? Absolutely. Shall humble themselves. I'm not going to come humble them. They need to humble themselves. Better late than never. And pray. If they will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways then will i hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land this scripture is preached over and over and over again but i believe that god is really trying to get our attention in this last day about this subject of repentance A 
Another great definition of repentance, by the way. If my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. That's all he's asking, folks. That's all he's asking of us. 1 John 5, excuse me, 1 John 1, verse 5 through 9. This then is the message which I have heard of him and declare unto you. Heard of who? Jesus, right? Yeah. That God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. You can't lie. You can't get away with lying with God. He knows. But if we walk in the light, if we're intentionally walking in the light, it's not automatic. I got to intend to walk in the light every day. Because that guy Demas in the New Testament, he turned around and went and started walking in darkness one day. And it bothered Paul to the point where he wrote about it. Having loved this present world, something got a hold of Demas. Something in his eyes, something in his mind, something got a hold of Demas's mind. And he turned and walked away from God. But if you walk in the light... As he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess, if we acknowledge, if we admit, if we concede our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What does 1 John 5.17 say? 1 John 5.17. Three words. All unrighteousness, four words, is sin. All unrighteousness is sin. Well, what does unrighteousness, what, what does that cover? What's unrighteousness? Can we can we come up with a list tonight, you think, maybe? We'd be here all night. That's a very wide brush that the writer is writing there. All unrighteousness is sin. That could be from the high end, the severe, as they say in some religions, mortal sins, all the way down to the little teeny-weeny sins and everything in between. And who determines what sin is? Not, not a priest, not a preacher. God does. And God told that writer to write that all unrighteousness is sin. So is there just a, a wee chance? Right? I'm holding my fingers together. That's thinner than rice paper. Is there a wee chance that something like that could happen in our life? Just maybe. Absolutely. But we have an advocate with the Father. What's an advocate? What does it mean when you advocate for somebody? You'll go to court with them. You'll go to bat for them. You'll, just, you'll almost die for them if need be. 
when you advocate for the poor or advocate for the veterans or advocate for whatever, right? Jesus Christ is our advocate. It's his blood. He died for us. Do you think he's not going to advocate if we come humbly before him? If we confess, it says he's faithful and just to forgive us. Thank goodness for that. Thank God for that. Hallelujah. We got to take that mindset that David had. Lord, I've sinned and done this evil in thy sight. It's a king talking like that. Coming to a close here. Revelation 2 and 5. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly and remove the candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. That was written to the church at Ephesus in the book of Revelation. So... It seems to me like that God has is trying to get the church's attention with when we when we read stuff like this. We like to talk about the book of Revelation, about all the prophecies and all the, the beast and all that kind of stuff, but before he ever gets in any, into any of that, he goes right into talking about the churches, talking to those churches. Revelation two sixteen says, Repent. Or else I will come unto thee quickly and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Who wants to be the enemy of God and have him fight against you? Revelation 2, 20 and 21 says, Notwithstanding, I have a few things against thee, because thou sufferest that woman Jezebel that calleth herself a prophetess to teach and seduce my servants to commit fornication and eat things sacrificed to idols. Now, before you start condemning old Jezebel, read the next scripture. God is a merciful God. He's a loving God. He would not that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Isn't that what he said? I'm not making that up. This is not the gospel according to Brother Demuth. That's in the book, right? And he gave her space to repent of her fornication, and she repented not. She made a choice. She thumbed her nose at God and said, I don't have to do that. My interpretation. But she might as well have. Revelation, and that was to the church at Thyatira. The one before that was to the church at Pergamos. To the church at Sardis, he said in verse 3 of chapter 3, Remember, therefore, how that Thou hast received and heard and hold fast. What have we received and heard? The gospel of Jesus Christ. Hold fast to that. That's what he's saying. Hold fast to it. Don't let it go. Buy the truth and sell it not. It's not for sale. Sorry. Get out of my face. Get out of my way, devil. Leave me alone. Resist the devil. And repent. He encourages them to stand strong. And then he says, and repent. If therefore thou shalt not watch, I will come on thee as a thief, and thou shalt not know in what hour I will come upon thee. 
It seems to me like as I'm reading these that repentance is tied to whether or not he'll come as a thief and sneak up on you when you're least expecting it. I don't want to be caught unawares. I don't want to be caught with an attitude of I don't have to repent. Last scripture and we're done. Revelation 3.19 to the church of Laodicea. He said, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Does he love us? More than you even realize. He loves everybody in this room, everybody in the sound of my voice. I'm not talking about filial love. I'm talking about agape love. The love of God which passes all understanding. He is love, right? God is love. He's the essence of what love is. And that same God loved us enough that he sent his son that we could be baptized in Jesus' name and filled with the Holy Ghost. And have victory over sin in our life. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. I don't ever want to get to the place, folks, where I don't feel like God's chasing me. Lord, chasten me. Rebuke me. Don't let me be lost, God. Don't let me be lost. Don't let me be like Demas. Don't let me be lost. And it says, be zealous, therefore, and repent. Repent. Repentance. It needs to be, this is just me, it needs to be my lifestyle. I look for every opportunity. I'm not saying that I'm running around just committing sins so I can repent and get the wrong impression. But there's going to be times where I'm going to fall short. And I need to have the right attitude of, okay, God, I'm, I didn't. I'm sorry. Fell short again today. It's okay, son. It's under the blood now. You've repented. Don't see that anymore. And don't let the devil come back and tell you, see, see, you can't make it. Shut up, devil. It's under the blood. Go away. You can talk to the devil how you want to. But God is trying to send us a message, folks. Because what's it going to take in this last day? People are going to come running. It's going to get so bad in this world that people are going to come running and clamoring to the doors of our churches. Maybe not our churches. Maybe our homes. Whatever it is you got, I want it. And we better know that what they need is repentance. And we better have our heart right. Because it's a humble and a contrite heart that God will not despise. Let's all stand. In Jesus' name. I really pray that this is ministered to somebody in this place. Father, we love you. We praise you. We honor you. We bless you. We thank you. Father, for speaking to us today, Lord Jesus, for allowing us to have ears to hear what your spirit is saying to the church. We are your church. We are your people, the sheep of your pasture, Lord. 
Lord, we want to be right in your sight, Father. We want to be pleasing. Let the words of our mouth, Father, and the meditations of our heart be acceptable in your sight, O God, our Savior and our Redeemer. Lord, help us to have that same spirit that David had, to have a humble and a contrite heart, a broken spirit and a broken, contrite heart you will not despise, God. Help us to be humble before you every moment of every day. Lord Jesus, that we would somehow, some way, walk worthy of this calling that you've given each and every one of us in this room. In Jesus' name.